Hi, I'm Leah. I'm Jason. And I'm Dre, and you're listening to the Post Normal Show. All right, what have you two been up to this week? Leah, you had a big presentation today. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, I had planned a webinar for um, a fair number of people, and it was to walk them through the report that I'd issued that I'd mentioned in the last podcast. Um, and in my infinite wisdom, I not only went into the wrong meeting room to start with, which looked like an empty room that nobody had showed up to, I also forgot to hit record when I eventually showed up to the right meeting room. So um, as much as I had attempted to plan that session properly, I found all sorts of ways to screw it up and uh, create issues for myself. And I swear to God, I was actually set up 15 minutes before and I have an empty recording now of me just like sitting there in front of, you know, a camera with no people present wondering where everybody was. So uh, that was how I started my day. Uh, (laughs) It all worked out though. It all worked out. it meant that I have to re-record the session on my own and release that separately with no attendees uh, there. So you don't really get to see what happened in that particular session, but the content will be the same and overall not a big problem. Yeah, I can help you insert like a laugh track in your um, in your uh, video. <laughs> random yeah. applause here and there. We could do that. It, it will totally be fake, but it's doable. Nice. Jason, what are you up to today? What did you do? I spent, wow, um, it was a another juggling match at work, uh, just trying to deal with making sure that people are fully resourced and are billable and protected. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting situation right now because um, you want to make sure that no matter what business you're doing, that you're adding value and every single moment, every single expenditure is a luxury right now. I think. Mm-hmm. That's it. All work, all work and no play for Mr. Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked a bit on the, actually I worked quite a bit uh, outside of average work hours uh, on the quarantine activity board again and um and i actually got a bit of traction from a couple of different places on on uh, linkedin and that was interesting oh where where can uh, where can we find this quarantine activity board? (laughs) uh it's actually impossible to find right now i think because it's on something with an insanely long url and i and and, uh, one of my bits of homework will be to um, create a bit.ly or something small URL version of it mm-hmm. so that I can actually say what it is without taking up half an hour. Can we get you to pin it um, on your Twitter page? Yeah, yeah, I could. I, I will. It's at, at JTED. I'll, I'll pin it at, at JTED, J-T-E-D. Nice. That's good. Well, I yeah. spent the day um, uh, clearing out uh, a spare room. I have this spare room that doesn't really get used that often, and I realized that it would just be a good—it's uh, a good opportunity for me to just 
clear it out and turn it into a little content production studio so I can do some tabletops photography and maybe record some videos in there. So I started clearing that out and uh, also going through a bunch of footage from when I was in Puerto Rico. I have so much footage that I shot and I was going through some underwater stuff. Uh, I was shooting GoPro like snorkeling and GoProing and um, you know, I spent, I spent February in Puerto Rico doing this and uh, you know, came back to self-isolating myself as soon as I got back from Puerto Rico and uh, it feels like forever. It feels like last year that I was on vacation. It was just over a month ago. Um, and uh, so it was nice to go through that footage and somewhat remember what it, what outside is like, uh, you know, what nice sunny weather is like. So, uh, so that was, that's what I was up to today. <laughs> that's good. I forgot about one thing. One one thing that that may actually relate to uh, to the conversation today uh, about uncertainty. I don't know if we're supposed to give away the theme or not. Um, so I have a I speaking of uncertainty. Um, I rarely go on Facebook, but I've been on Facebook quite a bit more than normal lately because that's where most of my relatives uh, reside in social including my, my father-in-law. And um, he made a comment today. I posted a, a disheveled picture of myself uh, just for fun and changed my profile pic so that it looked like I was sort of harried and, and, uh, and, and going through um, sort of a, a whirlwind, which things have, have kind of been. But the uncertainty part is the fact that uh, he shares a Facebook profile with my mother-in-law. So I never know who's talking to me. So I never know exactly how to respond to any of the comments because it could be, it could be my mother-in-law, it could be my father-in-law and they're both very different people. Um, so one of them commented, uh, how is it working from home? And I thought that is not quite the right term anymore. So I made a, a bit of a joke and I said that I was actually at Hork, um, a combination of home and work. And then I thought, why don't I write a definition of what horking actually means? <laughs> so I, uh, I wrote a definition of what hork is and it's that uh, nebulous and infinite in between place and or state where one is never comfortably at home nor reluctantly at work. So used in a sentence, um, he was tired after a long day and night at Hork, homeschooling the kids between conference calls, answering emails and cleaning the bathroom. That's nice. Did you put that on uh, Urban Dictionary yet? <laughs> I did not. I am. I'm not I've just it's not official until you post it there, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if I got, <laughs> if I got uh, web cred on the urban dictionary, I might get a bit more respect from, from the teenagers. Yeah, absolutely. What about uh, Wom? Did you explore Wom? I did. I thought it sounded a bit too comfortable. Mm. I thought working. <laughs> Too close to womb. A hork, hork sounded a lot more like something you didn't want. Isn't horking a word though? Like, could this be a, like, um, like a, what's the word? 
Oh my God. It comes from, it's the result of a productive cough. Yeah. <laughs> what, what an antonym? No, uh, an antonym is the opposite, but uh, and a synonym is this. What, what is it when a word is this spelled the same or sounds the same? Homonym. And has a totally different meaning. Homonym. homonym. Right. Yeah. It's a homonym. <laughs> yeah. And both somehow involve a cough. Yeah. In, which is which I think is also um, very pertinent and timely. There you go. So we have a new term now <laughs> to describe the ambivalent feeling we all have going back and forth between what we do in our lives. <laughs> we're horking. We're thanks horking. For, uh, thanks for clarifying that that uncertainty that I think a lot of people have. In, in, in how to feel or describe their, their current situation. Did you have any, uh, how did you feel today, Leah, when you were doing the, the webinar and, uh, you know, being, would you normally do it from where you are now or would you, obviously you would have done it in a, in a, in a conference space or how did it feel presenting that way? It was a little bit different. I mean, you can't read a crowd necessarily when you're presenting like that. Um, so you don't know if the material is landing. You don't really know if you're going too fast or if you're losing people. So there's a, a whole bunch of other factors that, that go along with that. But then you also, I mean, with any given presentation, never know if you've hit that right balance of explaining what you mean to and getting the point across without losing people completely in the process. So it, it was kind of all about that. And then the other big uncertainty sitting at the bottom of that was like, if the technology is just going to crap out while I'm doing this, you know, yes. is something going to die in the process is the audio not going to work out and something did, but that was a human error on my part, <laughs> you know, not getting a recording out of it. Um, but there's always that little bit of like, I don't know if I can actually do this for a number of different factors. Um, on the other hand, though, you know, it, it kind of demonstrates that you can do things like this. Um, you can have presentations, you can, you know, deliver to a larger group, you can hold a conversation without having to necessarily be there in person. And one of the things I've always said, like about conferences is that you don't really go to listen to the speaker, you actually go to have the conversations on the side that you couldn't otherwise have, right? So right. there's aspects of what we do when we come together that don't have to be done in person. Um, and then, you know, when we do come together, when, when all of this settles, maybe we can start thinking about how to come together in more productive ways. Yeah, speaking at a conference is so, you take so much for granted. And it's interesting that you, if you're putting something on yourself, like like a podcast or like a like a web seminar you're everything you're you're the IT you're the performer you're the you're the you're the the audio and video engineer you're doing everything and the the outcome is far less um certain <laughs> just if if you're speaking at a at a big professional outfit you just have to show up someone comes and mics you Someone makes sure that every, every there's always someone else there to make sure that what's happening is is going smoothly, right? Well, that's interesting. So it made me think back to um, a situation that Dre had a while ago, where you were presenting at a conference and nothing 
worked. Um, and it's, that can happen too. I think we have the illusion of certainty and things going right, but really in any circumstance, something can happen that you don't expect and can throw you off. Yeah. When I think of, you know, I was thinking today, I was thinking about uncertainty and you're right. I had, you know, I, I went to, I was speaking at a conference and we, uh, there was minimal sound check. There was a lot of sound check for some of the bigger speakers, but literally the one thing that didn't get checked um, because there was no time to check it was the thing that ended up failing and, uh, and screwing up the talk for you. Yeah. For me, uh, which was oh, a little bit crazy. Brutal. But, uh, yeah. You just, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the end of the world, but, um, and it happens. Stuff like that does happen. But I feel like to me, there wasn't, I am bringing it back to this idea of uncertainty. There, there, there wasn't a, there wasn't any certainty that anything was going to work, even if you did check everything. There's always a gremlin in the machine somewhere w waiting to cause havoc. <clears throat> so, so it got me really thinking about the idea of uncertainty and what it really means. And in this point in time where we are imbuing the term uncertainty with this negative connotation, when in fact, uncertainty exists all the time. It's perpetual. So long as there is a future, there is uncertainty. It's just how do we react towards uncertainty? And there are, you know, when things are good, we typically tend to, uh, some people will dream of this uncertain positive possibilities. Some people will, won't do anything. We'll just let it, let it go by because uh, it's, it's easy to just let normalcy pass through. But when things get rough, this is where uncertainty becomes more treacherous, where we start imagining these, all the potential bad things. And I feel this is a, a point in time where people are forced to actually think about the future. Whereas when things are going well, pe people tend to not think about the future. But we're putting a lot of people who would normally not think about the future in a position where they 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 kind of have to, and I think it scares a lot of people. Well, I think it, sorry, go ahead. It's combined with probability, right? Like the the uncertainty. It, there's this. There's is sounds kind of infinite, and when you're thinking about whether or not something's going to succeed or fail, then that's a certain probability, I suppose. So uncertainty is always there, but the probability of, of it being successful in a professional outfit versus an amateur outfit is higher. That's, I guess that was my only point. Well, I was going to say, I think we're constantly thinking about the future. You know, when we're thinking about like on a minor scale, at least in terms of our own personal lives, like what am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? How is this event going to go next week? Um, all of those sort of things or, you know, like um, I've got bills to pay and those are going to come soon. So I think we, we engage in the future all the time. I think what's sort of unprecedented about this is that now we're forced to think about uncertainty on a scale that we're not used to thinking about it every single day, which is, you know, um, the, the broader problems of when is this going to end? And I think of all of the questions that are kind of floating out there, that's the big uncertain one that we don't have an answer on. Like, when does the lockdown end? When do we go back to work? When do we go back to whatever normal it is that's emerging? And so I think 
having to think about that is both, it can be scary because you don't have answers and there's nowhere to get a clear answer. And it can be um, a little bit unsettling emotionally to have to process what is going on in the world at the same time as having to deal with all of your own uncertainties that are either unfolding anyway or getting exasperated by what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what the Canadian government, or at least what the Ontario government is doing right now in terms of releasing the projections, the scientific projections as to when this might go, when this might peak, you know, when there might be a second wave, uh, mentally preparing people for this to go right through the summer, that there's no... um, there's no hope in um, in 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 thinking that you're going to uh, you know go camping uh, as soon as the nice weather breaks, uh, and I think that mental preparedness helps people get a uh, have a bit more of a grasp on that. Although I feel like you know people who are not accustomed to thinking about longer term futures, you know people do think about the future every day because they are you know but in the very very short term you know tomorrow next week. But a lot of people aren't really thinking about August right now. And now they are. They're forced to think about August. They're forced to think, what if we have to continue doing this all summer long? What if summer gets canceled? Yeah. And that's that's almost where uncertainty is preferred <laughs> to to an to a certain a certain fate. Uh, I'd I'd almost rather it be an unknown at this point. I I think it's too soon to feel like, oh, I've got to be stuck in this nether world for another X number of months just seems, it seems tough. And you know what, you know, what's interesting. I, uh, I watched, um, so, so Disney promoted on Marvel Instagram, Marvel's Instagram. Um, and they promoted Taika Watiti doing a, uh, a live showing of Thor Ragnarok. So I, I walked, I, I walked, I, I watched a bit of that. And the hilarious thing is, so this guy's really funny and he's really good live and he's the director. And it was almost like none of the questions were about the movie. The movie was barely even in the shot. His kids were running around. He was cooking lamb and running out to the garden to get rosemary. And then Tessa Thompson came in on the, on the, on the call and they talked a bit and they were basically just talking about how they were feeling. Um, people were asking crazy questions and it was, it was more like a, a big kind of riffing. And it was sort of like you were just hanging out with these guys in their, in their living rooms with their kids and all this crazy stuff that's happening going while someone's watching a movie. And it actually, it actually felt pretty, fun for an hour and then and then I was like okay Instagram boots you out after an hour and it was about enough time but one of the interesting things that Tessa Thompson said was that she was having a really hard time um, just not being sad just sitting around in her house and it was making her feel sad sometimes and it was almost this overwhelming sadness that that would would come over her um, uh, like uh, if he felt the same and he was like yeah I thought that I was going to do so much work and I'm spending a whole bunch of time just lying on my couch staring (laughs) I thought that was it was really good to hear crazy famous people that you think are super productive 
just feeling the same way that I do sometimes. Yeah, I read somewhere that the sadness that you're feeling is actually mourning. I 100% believe that. And I, I feel like it's the, you know, they say this, the stages of, of mourning you go through, I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but you do go through this sort of shock and then anger and then acceptance. And there's a whole bunch of different levels, I guess, that, that we're processing because we're not doing the things we're, we're mourning the possibilities that don't exist. The things that we thought that we were going to do. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the, the five stages of grief are um, anger, uh, denial and isolation, acceptance, bargaining, and depression. And oh, it ends with depression. No, it goes. Oh my god. Okay, good. <laughs> it's uh, okay. Good. All those words surrounded by a circle, and then there's like a star in the middle that points to all the other words. So you can go from any one place to another. But I do believe that that makes sense. I do believe that um, denial, you know, denial and isolation seem and seem to be the first one, then there's the acceptance, then there's bargaining, then depression, then anger. That seems, seems about right. But um, yeah, I feel like we we're past the denial and isolation. We're all, well, we're in the isolation. That's just going to be the perpetual one, but we <laughs> yeah. we're past the denial part. And I think most people have accepted what's going on here. Uh, uh, you know, the bargaining, what does bargaining mean? One discussion I was having with a friend was the idea that you know there might be a backlash of people who want their freedom back and who are willing to just accept death as a a factor that that you know they they would let's accept the fact that a lot of people will die and we're going to take our our chances and go out and live in the world and do the things that need to get done which is you know really selfish mentality because it usually means somebody else's death not your own death but you know, these, these are ideas that, that are, that aren't just floating around in people's minds, but there are, you know, some people that are actually you know, participating in these things actively uh, or knowingly. Uh, so I think that I'm not sure I would agree that we are no longer in denial. I think that plays hand in hand with this idea of people going out and doing the bargaining thing, because there's a certain number of people who think they will not be affected by this. They're going to be immune. It doesn't really apply to them and they can go about their lives. And that's part of the reason why this thing is going to continue for so long is not the people who are showing symptoms that are in lockdown. It's the people who have no symptoms and are still going about their lives fairly freely enough, like enough to not keep their distance at a grocery store and enough to not go out, you know, for frivolous things. So there's a fair bit of denial, I think, happening here. And I don't know if anybody has fully processed what it means to be on lockdown through the summer. So even I, you know, who does, you know, futures work, I'm hoping that we can sort of get back slowly to things around June. You know, like if that's possible, and I, so far that's as far as um, so far that's as far ahead as I'm kind of willing to think about it. I can't think about August at this point um, because that starts to get into a really strange place to be back in the fall and lose your summer altogether and not 
uh, have any of that. So to go from this state into a cold, depressing winter again would be really crappy. And I think would just, all of the other sort of uncertainties that are gonna come out from around that is so hard to sort of wrap our heads around, like the number of mental health issues that we're going to have to deal with um, that are going to emerge if this goes on for too long. That's just one particular thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny to think that being social right now is considered antisocial behavior. How do you mean? Well, being social is the dangerous thing to do. Oh, like, that's the antisocial. Yeah, yeah. It's antisocial. It's, it's, uh, it's what we don't want you to do. It's the bad thing for the world is to be social. So um, yeah, be nice when social, being social is no longer considered antisocial. Yeah. So Leia, thinking about your, you know, not thinking, not thinking about too far in, in, in the future. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, August, I'm thinking about the, the potential of this just going for till 2021. Like there's a, there's a high likelihood that, that there's going to be restrictive movement uh, for as long as this year lasts. Um, so yeah, I was looking into ideas around uncertainty and just like philosophical ideas around uncertainty and how there are uh, historical contemporary and progressive views of how to look at uncertainty and that historical views typically revolve around you know ignoring an uncertainty uh, and then and then reducing and eliminating uncertainty are shared with contemporary views but contemporary also means potentially just coping with uh, uncertainty and then the kind of progressive is embracing uncertainty um, and this is a you know a, a way of looking at the different different levels of how to how to deal with it overall but um, yeah, some people are not prepared to embrace uncertainty uh, in the long term. And uh, I mean, we see it all the time. A lot of people ignore uncertainty. The uh, What is it? The ostrich effect, right? You stick your head in the sand, pretend it doesn't exist, or close your eyes and pretend it's not there. There's definitely a lot of that going on. But uh, I think it's still good to, you know, imagine what that might look like in, in, um, you know, in August, like what, what happens if we end up losing, losing our summer and, and you're posing the, you know, big questions like, yeah, I think that's going to take a major toll on, um, on, um, on mental health. I think it's going to make people think about how they want to live and where they want to live. So that if this becomes the new, you know, our post-normal reality is every year, there's a new strain of a pandemic that is, uh, you know, and there's another 18 months of, of uh, you know, this, this is another conversation that's happening right now. This, this might become the new super flu uh, every year as another, you know, uh, devastating pandemic that just recurs over and over again. It just mutates enough for us to not catch up with it. Until we find... Sorry, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. I was just gonna say until we find a, a, a vaccine but whenever we find a vaccine, it mutates, and the, the the vaccine is no longer, no longer effective. That's just like the flu, right? You got H1N1, and then turns into H5N1, and that old vaccine doesn't work on the new on the new flu, and and so on. So what happens? What if the world we've created is one where there's these devastating pandemics that happen year over year, which which means you know lockdown uh, will become 
will become the only, you know, the minute something happens in any country, that whole country would have to get locked down until it's, it's stabilized so it doesn't spread beyond those borders. I think the thing about the uncertainty aspect is it's not so much, you know, let's stick our head in the sands and kind of ignore it issue. I think it's the, to me at least, it's the issue that things are shifting so quickly now um, in such a volatile way that to assume we understand what's going to happen a few months from now becomes really difficult to do. It's almost like any prediction we make is going to be wrong in some way or another. So if we it's kind of like just being okay with the fact that things are going to emerge and we're going to have to deal with them as is. So I wonder if it, at least for me, might be a healthier view to just take it day by day and just accept that, okay, this is going to go on for a while. I don't know how long it's going to go on for, but I know that within a certain time frame I can cope. And then once I start to approach the end of that, you know, time frame, then I can reassess where I am and think about how to adjust to the next phase. Because I don't think this is going to be the same thing throughout. I think that's a it's a mistake for us to think about like how we're going through this now is going to be the same way we feel about it a month from now or three months from now. Um, and the way that we're processing everything now would continue to be the same many months from now. So right. for instance, we don't have a sense of, you know, the relief funds that we're getting, is that really only for four months? Um, will that extend beyond then? Uh, and that's a whole other reality if it doesn't. Um, and if it does, then, you know, even that has consequences. Are we going to be paying back um, this debt that we're accumulating at the higher level that we need to accumulate? Um, but is still piling up there. Are we going to be paying that for many, many years to come? So I think it's that sort of, it's, it is uncertain, but how it is uncertain is going to be hard to nail down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that all of us are used to thinking about alternatives to what currently exists and we do that daily as a profession and I really have no idea how someone who doesn't have a more plastic view or a more plastic brain that that can shape itself around different possibilities how they would be coping with this right now and maybe it would it be harder or easier to be less open-minded where you just either you reject it outright and you don't believe it, which puts you and others in harm, or you just accept it. You listen to authority, you stay at home and you just do what you do. I, I don't know. Instead of thinking about it all the time. Um, the the interesting thing about being a designer is that you have to be comfortable with ambiguity. You have to understand that you don't necessarily ever have the right answer to anything. And the only way to find the so-called right answer at, at a particular moment in time and in a particular context is to talk to people and to understand people. So right now, I think it would be a very interesting experiment to be interviewing and talking, coming up with a list of questions around how people, not just how people are feeling, but what exactly they're thinking about doing, how they think things are going to turn out in the future or how they're maybe even how they're 
reacting to one specific thing to try to solve one specific problem. For instance, how are they, how have they changed their habits around eating and cooking and ordering in food? I think that would be a fascinating study to see and to talk to people and to see how their behaviors changing will help to understand what sort of companies and what sort of jobs are going to come out of, of this being a long-term thing. And one example real quick is uh, just found out that we can get chickens. We're having a really hard time getting chickens for Easter. This is Easter weekend coming up. Normally we wanted a turkey. We've given up on that. So we're still being hopeful around getting a chicken and a supplier of restaurants has started delivering to people's homes because the restaurants are don't exist. They're decimated and, and no one's can, uh, the, the food they're, they're basically <laughs> cutting out the middleman, which used to be a beautiful, wonderful middleman and, and trying to deliver poultry products directly to people's homes. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, th- there's definitely going to be some transformation of, of uh, small things like, like little businesses. I, I had mentioned to you guys before the call that I ordered some some beer from a microbrew. Turns out the microbrew is inside a place called the Burdock, which is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a restaurant slash uh, uh, a music club. There's there's a lot of music stuff going on there, and it's a well-respected venue. And when you go to the website, it says bar music club, and they're both struck out, and it just says bottle shop underneath. So they've just transformed themselves into you just buy our beer, we'll come and deliver it to you same day or next day, depending on when you order, um, which is something they didn't do prior to this. I believe a lot of the laws have, are lax, uh, allowing companies to do this or uh, beer, uh, beer makers to do this. But you know, there's a big spreadsheet of, of breweries. So which ones are going to continue doing this after the fact? What habits are we going to get into? What small local suppliers like restaurants are we going to start to... Uh, develop these relationships with realizing that when shit hits the fan that you'll be able to rely on them to to have your back in crazy times like this but what what it really gets me thinking thinking about going back to talking about uh watching uh waika uh, uh taika watiti you know about him like laying on the couch and not being as productive and so on that really got me thinking about we are in a situation right now where it's allowing a lot of us to truly understand what our default settings are as human beings we're ingrained to or in this society we're ingrained to go to school and learn to behave in a certain way which is effectively training for a nine-to-five job uh, when you become an adult and then you're expected to have a nine-to-five job and follow those rules and be the square peg in the square hole and now that we've been told to stay at home and not rely on this routine, uh, a lot of us are finding uh, finding out who we really are. Like, how do you really spend your time? What do you let your mind do when you're not preoccupied by something like a job? And for some people, that's going to be a great awakening. For other people, it's probably just pure torture. Well, it's up in the air for a lot of us, I think. Like right now, I'm trying to figure out what is my career going forward. And I thought I had figured it out before this thing hit. 
um, I just launched a company. I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of work and it's going to include all of this science fiction stuff. And now I have to sort of step back and think about, okay, what is actually important to me? Um, what's the work that I'm jumping at doing right now versus what I think can be put off till later? And, you know, what do I want to contribute to when all of this is done? Like, I think that's a value shift that we're probably experiencing. At the same time, though, I'm not worried about where my next meal is coming from. And I have the luxury to then sit back a little bit and think about how I'm going to you know, manage all of this and what I'm going to think about next. So I think it's almost so context driven right now. Like I don't know how people are faring when they're in these much, much more difficult situations and their level of uncertainty is so high that future the way we are is just a complete and total luxury. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Go ahead. I was going to transition to something else. <laughs> oh, well, I, I think, uh, I think it's very interesting because I was about to say that it's strange to find myself out of context. And that is that I'm normally with a large group of designers and running around all day from person to person, having very specific interactions and that's all been unplugged. So how do I maintain who I am and how I am as a, as a professional, as a career, as a person, when that context is removed and having to create a new context or having to create new channels, new ways of interacting and showing emotion or showing... <sighs> being able to read people, like you said, when you're doing, doing a, the lecture through a screen is very different than when you're there in person, because there's so many things that happen in a room that don't happen, that so many things happen in a shared space that don't happen over a digital space. And, um, and that's, it's hard, but that pales in comparison to, like you said, someone that doesn't have that isn't even worried about context. The uncertainty is, is whether or not they feel like they can survive this. Well, this is the thing about context is that we went from having, you know, access to so many different things and having a much bigger environment and world to being sort of condensed into these very tiny contexts where we have to live out everything in. And there's this idea in systems thinking around boundaries, the importance of setting boundaries, because the second you set a boundary, particularly around a problem space, that's all you're looking at. It means that you have uh, by default excluded a bunch of things from your consideration. And what lies on the outside could be where the problem actually lies. So we're all setting a very, very tiny, narrow boundary for ourselves that we're still trying to operate in all the ways that we used to operate within. And I can't imagine that that's like something that's sustainable for very long without having to change in some sort of way. I feel there's a lot of social things that existed prior to this that we obviously took for granted or we weren't really uh, understanding uh, of, of the limitation or how fragile, I guess, social 
gatherings can actually be. And now that we are relegated to these rather small boundaries, whether they are the geographic boundaries or the boundaries of the six meters away that you need to stay with people, what what's going to happen in you know what, you know what let's let's just uh, you know as a thought experiment let's say uh, in a month from now they come up with a vaccine it is rapidly put on every everything's cured everything's good we're all ready to go out like what do you imagine is going to change in the grander social context <laughs> I do think about that I I can speak to an idea that I wanted to bring up in this um, in this podcast, the idea of critical uncertainties, right? Things that are really important, but highly unpredictable in terms of how they're going to play out. And so as futurists, we tend to look at critical uncertainties when we're coming up with scenarios. Um, So for me right now, the big critical uncertainty, even if we get to, you know, vaccination really quickly is still the mental health issues uh, that are going to emerge. It's things like what happens, post, uh, you know, relief funds, if we want to hold on to this, you know, experience of having UBI, how hard that is going to be to potentially let go of, because now we're seeing the real potential of it. I think there's a lot of things that are so uncertain, even within that period that it would be sort of difficult to wrap your head around. And this other thing that um, I came across uh, listening to another podcast, um, I think it was the Hidden Brain podcast that talked about uh, the last pandemic, the Spanish flu, um, you know, people forgot about it. Like they just sort of went back to their lives because there was a war going on and that's where the focus needed to be. So it was almost like the second it was over, it was just erased. Like nobody wanted to really deal with it and talk about it and address it. And so I think there's a part of us that might want to do that too. Yeah. I think back then media wasn't as big of a thing and media was actually actively trying to suppress any notion of the Spanish flu. That's the reason why it's called the Spanish flu is because the only country that would post news about it was Spain. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and uh, soldiers got word of it through Spanish news channels. And the reason why media was trying to suppress it is they didn't want soldiers to realize that there was a threat on top of war to be worried about while you're, you know, uh, in a trench. So, um, right. And so if we think about like our world, there are already so many other problems that, you know, we're already facing. So I think specifically about the U.S. and the number of issues that they were facing going into this pandemic, there are plenty of people who still think this is fake news right? Like who don't agree with the fact that there's a pandemic on and that's going to affect them in that um, Trump is doing a terrible job of handling it. Like they're of the opposite view. And so I think there is this sort of tendency within us to like look for control and certainty wherever we can. And if that means, you know, kind of denying an aspect of what has happened and denying that it could happen again, there's going to be some of that, some of that complacency kicking in too. Yeah. I can tell you that I will not be going to see a movie or a concert or a conference for at least a year. I just won't feel comfortable. There's going to be a lot of fear for a while till we're comfortable being around each other again. And I'll probably, I'll probably stop shaking people's hands. I don't think I'll do that anymore. And I, and I probably 
will ask people how long they, it, when I first go out, I'll probably ask people how long they've been self-isolating before I risk hanging out in close proximity to them, Yeah, which I is a really weird thing to I, do. I think we're all just going to be going around with hats with thermometers on our foreheads. <laughs> I'll bring my laser. I have a laser uh, thermometer or a laser, whatever that's called. Yeah, like a laser thermometer. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, what, did, what did What did you say, Leah? But I I don't even remember. I was just and now I'm all about the laser thermometer. Um, can you create like a deployment? system along with the the laser thermometer like you come close to somebody and they're within two feet and your laser thermometer picks up the wrong reading and you just bubble out I, I don't know I it I mean it can take a reading from across a room so I could I could definitely take people's temperatures from two meters away and uh, and, and if but I don't know I'm not actually worried if people have a fever I'm more worried if they are breathing <laughs> I think that goes along with having a fever. <laughs> well, face if you're no longer breathing, the fever may no longer be your issue. <laughs> no, but a super spreader or, you know, being asymptomatic for the first right. two weeks or, and I, and I'm not really, I'm not really an agoraphobe and I'm not really a germaphobe, but I do believe in science and I, and I, do believe in probability and I and I have a hard time with taking unnecessary risks so I think there's a there's a larger mental load now cognitive load to making the simplest decisions and that affects a lot of things it, it affects your stress level it affects your your emotional uh well-being and it affects your ability to make or even want to make certain decisions right yeah even the smallest dishes decisions become these stressful ordeals yeah fauci the other day said something to the effect of um he he believes that we should americans uh should uh should just stop shaking hands as a standard social practice just or really, or go back, back to Victorian times where we all wore gloves. Mm. True. Um, yeah. The the um, I think I think that's a, that's a good uh, a, a good idea to maybe start wearing gloves more. I've always I always wear gloves early in the cold season because I hate getting like just a common cold. And uh, when I'm taking transit, I usually just wear gloves for that. But I do think that face masks are going to become a lot more commonplace. I think going shopping, going grocery shopping, going, doing any type of social stuff, I think wearing a face mask, you're going to see that a whole lot more um, in, in the coming, in the coming years. So anyone in the face mask uh, industry, you know, I feel like, I still feel like that's an emotional support thing that more than an actual real deterrent unless you're wearing the n95s and you're wearing them properly and you're putting them on and taking them off properly it's really not doing that much to prevent the spread of the tiniest freaking virus that there is yeah i i would i would disagree with that i think that a barrier is a barrier no matter what i think a lot of that stuff there a lot of that rhetoric we're hearing about 
face masks not working was just something to prevent hoarding from happening. It's obviously that's what it is because everyone's changing their tune. Um, and N95 mask is a, a very feasible thing to get. You can easily make them out of vacuum cleaner uh, filter bags. It's just basically a HEPA filter is all it is. But uh, yeah, I think, I think face masks are, uh, yes, one way of feeling more in control and, and controlling, uh, you know, having, it's more of an emotional thing, but it does protect. It's, it's, uh, it's undeniable. Any scientist. Well, only if it has the HEPA. Otherwise, if you're just wearing a cloth mask, a double cloth mask, it's not stopping air, which means it's not stopping a virus that's the size of smaller, like a hundredth the size of a bacteria. Well, it's stopping some of it. Well, you know, the N95. You're right. It is stopping some of it. But specifically, a HEPA filter definitely would catch like 90-some percent, right? 99%. but, but But a cloth... Just like if, if someone's doing a makeshift cloth, it blocks not even 10%. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on, there's a lot of factors in that. But uh, either way, I think it protects some. Uh, and I think that people should uh, should definitely wear masks. And I, I do believe that it would is probably a smart idea to make that more of a... Uh, I think if we're, bringing, if we're bringing back the gloves and we're going to start wearing masks, then I think we should also bring back fedoras and top hats <laughs> all the outward and accessories the, the flapper hats and the um well hats used to be high mascots like, hats used to be mandatory pains. hats used to be mandatory accessory for men um up until john f kennedy did a speech not wearing a hat and that was the a moment in time that shift that shifted men wearing hats to men not wearing hats Wow, fickle bunch. Those yeah, men. I know. <laughs> so I think to sort of tie up the things that we've talked about, my guess is that we're going to go to a place where if everything has been so uncertain for so long, we're just going to be grasping at every form of certainty we can. And I, I wonder if that's the only thing that I can really be certain about in terms of what's emerging. I think things have been un have just always been uncertain. You know, this is just putting a magnifying glass on on uncertainty. It's making uncertainty far more critical for us to uh, to imagine. Uh, but yeah, finding the that um, that thing that you can hang on to that you can find some form of certainty. That you know, hence why toilet paper hoarding had it. It was a form of control that people could find them so they they were certain that they had enough you know enough uh, toilet paper that was the one thing they could control in this crazy situation <laughs> but yeah there will be other things what are the other other uh trends that are gonna pop up where people are gonna grasp onto those you know people so should be hoarding salt i mean come on you're gonna you <laughs> want to eat bland food for for half a year can you imagine i'd rather like have to jump in the shower after going to the bathroom than not have salt so we've been doing it for 52 minutes so <laughs> we'll end on jason's note <laughs> all right hoard your salt hoard all right yourself. off we go uh, uh thanks for putting up with us if you stuck around for this long we'll talk to you and we'll see you in the future tip tip of the top hat to you <laughs> <laughs>